crush manna fell to the ground as a gift from God. While the Israelites were in the wilderness, this is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can taste and smell fresh manna. Today you'll be listening to Pastor Sean Grisendine, pastor of the Houghton Seventh-day Adventist Church and assistant pastor of the Bessemer and Greenland Seventh-day Adventist Churches. Now, here's Pastor Sean. It's a blessing to gather here to worship the Lord as we continue through the sanctuary. Our series has been journeying together through the sanctuary, and I'm thankful that we can continue that journey. And I'd like us to begin with a word of prayer if you're able to kneel with me, and then I'll share a song that fits with the message. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace to receive mercy and help in time of need. And we praise you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We know, Lord, that we're undeserving of it. We did not earn it, but you've promised through Jesus to pour him upon us that you would teach us and guide us into all truth. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross of Christ, that Jesus will be lifted up, and that we would experience forgiveness of our sins, transformation of character, and renewing and washing and cleansing. Thank you, Lord, for the open invitation you give to our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To sing is as much an act of worship as is prayer, and so I am going to share a special song that really fits with the entire series that we're journeying together, and this song is called To Your Sanctuary. Some of you may be familiar with Hymn 21 in the Seventh Amos hymnal, St. Dino is the melody, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise. And so I've prayerfully taken that melody and composed a song to it that journeys through the aspects of the sanctuary. And in some ways, it'll reveal a little bit where we've come from because we started our series at the entrance to the sanctuary, the gates, praising God as we enter into his presence is a fitting way to approach God. I mean, God is worthy of our praise. The more you start praising God, the more your problems start looking pretty small, that God can do anything. And then we come to the altar of sacrifice where we confess our, our need of forgiveness and cleansing, representing how Jesus has died as our perfect sacrifice. And today we have the privilege of looking at the significance of the labor and the washing and cleansing. So to your sanctuary, I'll sing it and pray that you'll be blessed. So this is part of that message in song. To your sanctuary, through the gates of praise, thanksgiving we carry and our hands we raise to the bleeding victim now all our eyes turn, our sin laid upon him, for Jesus we yearn. We come to approach you in your holiness, confessing before you our deep sinfulness. The way of salvation you made very plain. From your congregation, you cleanse every stain. On that brazen altar, all those lambs once died. By faith we won't falter in the crucified. Your cleansing by water, the laver makes sure. By your Holy Spirit, Make our whole lives pure. Now within the holy 
our faith is assured. Your message of truth comes as bread from your word. The candlestick lightens our path evermore. Your spirit guides us to what you have in store. The incense of prayer now draws us up to you. Your spirit guides us how to live fully true. Mid conflict and trial, we cast all our cares on one without guile who numbers our hairs. By faith we go onward through the second veil to Jesus, our high priest, who never will fail. We humble our souls in true fasting today and rest from our own works as you are the way. Now cleanse your high dwelling this atonement day. Your character shall stand good and right alway. With your intercession, our cleansing shall come. Lord, finish the story and soon take us home. Christ's desire is that we would not just journey through the sanctuary in a spiritual experience here, but one that leads us finally home. And that's the whole intent of the sanctuary. It is God's plan to get us over our sin problem and into his very presence. Because until sin is fully eradicated from our hearts and minds and lives, we would not actually even be safe in the presence of Jesus. We would be consumed. So in his mercy and his love, he has provided a way for us to be completely cleansed and transformed. And I praise God for that. Ephesians 5, 26. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles. Ephesians 5, verse 26. This is our scripture reading. And it provides a very meaningful concept of what the word of God does. And it's the Holy Spirit that applies the word to our hearts. So we can truly say it's the spirit of God that does cleanse us as we yield our hearts to him. Ephesians 5 and verse 26. Ephesians 5 and verse 26. God's promises that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Now I think about the meaning and significance of water. Personally, I love water. I drink a lot of it. I actually found out that you can actually drink quite a bit of water and it's still quite healthy. People are sometimes afraid that they'll drink too much water. Like, you know, if they drink a couple of gallons, that's too much. Actually, you're getting about to water toxicity when you start drinking about five gallons. Of course, keep this in context of how large you are as a person in your weight. But I think about how maybe at times we feel like we don't have time for God's word or to pray more fervently for the Holy Spirit. But we can come to him and continue to receive more and more of that cleansing. And so as we continue through the journey of the sanctuary, we realize that it was the laver that was the only place within the sanctuary where actual cleansing took place. Everything else was sacrificial or representative of other aspects in terms of you know, places where the table of showbread was placed, the seven-branch candlestick, which was anointed with oil, the altar of incense. But this is the only piece of furniture within the courtyard that actually has water in it. And God wants us to be cleansed completely, thoroughly. If we go to Exodus chapter 30, beginning verse 17, we realize how the labor was composed, and it is an invitation for us, because we're called to ministry as well, 
to be cleansed and washed and renewed. Exodus chapter 30, beginning in verse 17. Exodus chapter 30, beginning in verse 17. And the scripture tells us, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water, that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. So they shall wash their hands and their feet, that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. In other words, God was saying it's important that for those who are ministering, they must be washed and cleansed. There was to be no particles of dust, no defilement. That was all to be washed away. And this was taking place in the courtyard, the same place or enclosure outside. There was the linen covering of the outside of the courtyard. But within there's those two pieces of furniture, the altar sacrifice or burnt offering and the labor. This was preparatory to entering into the holy and most holy place. And the most holy place is only entered once a year by the high priest. And so we see elements here also of how Jesus has provided a way for us. We can come to him confessing our sins and then acknowledging our need of the washing and renewing of the word through the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes people will pray for the Holy Spirit. And I'll be honest, I've been there. Earlier in my experience as a Christian, I actually got caught up in what I would call Pentecostalism. Now, I believe that we should be full of the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen to that? We need the Holy Spirit. But there are counterfeits out there. And I thought that being full of the Holy Spirit meant speaking in ecstatic utterances called glossolalia or speaking in tongues, of which I had no cognizance or realization of what I was even saying. And this went on for months. This was around 2007. I was going through this and someone had prayed over me and, you know, the idea was to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But I'll be very honest with you, looking back on it, I wasn't necessarily getting more biblical. I was getting more kind of personal and selfish. It's interesting because the counterfeit out there of the Holy Spirit is something that leads you to start to focus more on a subjective experience. This is dangerous. We want the Holy Spirit, but you know where the Holy Spirit's going to lead us to? It's going to lead us to Jesus and the Bible. So if it's truly the Holy Spirit, it's going to lead you in that direction. If it's a counterfeit, it's going to lead you away. And that was happening. And so thankfully, people were praying for me. A friend of mine encouraged me, said, I don't think that's the Holy Spirit. And thankfully, I just let that all go. And I said, Lord, forgive me. I don't want to do this anymore. And I pray intelligently. They've actually done studies on people that are doing that, and their frontal lobe is basically not lit up when they're praying in this unknown tongue. Because God wants us to intelligently worship him. So the Holy Spirit is not coming to just kind of give us this, you know, amazing feeling without any understanding of his word. The Holy Spirit wants to give us joy in beholding Jesus through the word of God. Can you say amen to that? That's so important because we live in a time in which a lot of people are asking for the Holy Spirit, but they're not also receiving the word of God. And as a result, they're opening their hearts and minds, imperceptibly maybe, gradually, to be deceived by a massive counterfeit that's going to unite the world in a counterfeit, a counterfeit of what the Holy Spirit's really going to do. And that is the Holy Spirit is going to lead us in true cleansing of our lives from sin and receiving the word of God that we would become peaceful and happy and obedient Christians. Not living in rebellion, because there are some who may think, well, sin's not really an issue because, quote, I have the Holy Spirit. But if it's true the Holy Spirit, he will convict you of the areas in which your life is not yet like Jesus and invite you to let go of it so you can be washed. He'll bring the promises right to your heart that you're needing in those times of trial. 
And the truth is, we're all thirsty by nature. Our fallen nature is like that dry and barren ground. And inevitably, if we're not being filled and washed of the Holy Spirit, you know where we inevitably go? We go to broken cisterns. If you go to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, inevitably this is the place that we will go. And I think if any of us look back over our experience, if there were times in our life when we weren't walking with Christ, we'll realize, yes, the Bible hits the nail on the head. It tells us exactly where we were going, the things we were seeking out that we're not truly able to satisfy. And that's the thing. The Holy Spirit truly does satisfy your soul, but he also increases your capacity to desire more of Christ. And so it's a satisfaction that leads to a deeper yearning. And that's what God wants for us, more and more of himself, filling our hearts. Jeremiah 2, verse 13, the scripture tells us, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now think about this. If we forsake the Lord, and isn't that what Adam and Eve did? I mean, originally they were in a garden sanctuary. If you actually look at the way the Eden garden home was set up, they were worshiping God. They were approaching God. There was no separation between them. And they enjoyed that open-faced communion. But as soon as they forsook the Lord by choosing sin, they were seeking out something else. Some of us know the fig leaves they tried to sew together. There's all kinds of attempts that we make in our fallen, broken sinfulness to try to cover up the lack that we are missing without the presence of Jesus. And so, yes, it's a sin to forsake God, but another sin to make it worse is that we go out and we look for broken cisterns. What could those be? Well, for one, they could be broken relationships. A person, for example, who's been deeply wounded in their earlier years, maybe someone molested them, maybe someone was, you know, very hurtful to them and damaged them deeply. A person who's been deeply hurt and wounded will often look for other broken relationships to try to medicate the pain that they feel inside. And yet Jesus knows all about the struggles and the pain that we go through. And it's in this light that we see how Jesus so graciously and tactfully and winsomely offers the living water. I'd like us to turn to John chapter 4 because when we think about how does God cleanse us, we're not invited to a literal labor today, but we're invited to an experiential transformation through the washing of God's word. And God brings his word to us personally and individually. What I love about Jesus is that he did not come to condemn sinners, but to save them. The struggle that we go through, though, is that we become so entwined with our sin struggle that we begin to think that it's a part of our identity. That's a lie. Do not for a moment acknowledge Satan's temptations as being in harmony with your own mind. Turn from them as you would from the adversary himself. That's from the book Mind, Character, and Personality, Volume 1, page 32, paragraph 2. And the reason I share that with you is because Every one of us, whether we know it or not, has been lied to by the devil. He lies to us all the time. You ever heard the phrase like, I can't do it? Who did that come from? That's probably the devil again. The thing is, if we don't recognize where these negative, depressing, broken messages are coming from, we won't allow God to wash our minds and our hearts from them. You can imagine here in John chapter 4, that as Jesus must go through Samaria, he's meeting a woman who has been for so long hammered with all kinds of negative messages. All kinds of like, you're good for nothing. No one really cares about you. You're not worth anything. Well, the thing is, sometimes the devil gets more sneaky, and he'll actually give you messages in the form of I. In other words, he'll lie to you in the first person. So you actually come to think that what you're thinking is your own thoughts. If it's still a lie, it's not from you. It's not from Jesus. It's the adversary. He's trying to work through all these different ways to get you down to make you think that that's just who you are. 
actually, biblically, you're a child of God, and he has an eternal plan for your life. And sometimes it's a life or death struggle to accept that love that transforms, that washing and that renewing. So we see the struggle this woman goes through, and that's why I want us to really focus in on John 4 as we're talking about the labor, because she came to accept the cleansing Christ wanted to give her. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Try to picture the scene with me. It's around noon, and I've been to Israel, and I've been there during time of year, May, June. It's really hot. So Jesus thirsty. He's weary. He's human. He's experiencing the needs that humanity experiences. He's waiting for someone to be able to come draw water. And who approaches? Verse 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Now we have to capture the moment here in our mind's eye. Why is she coming to the well at noon? This is a very unusual time for a woman to draw water because most of the women would have come early in the morning when it was cool and was pleasant to be outside. Here it's hot and dry. And just in contrast to how Nicodemus came to Jesus at midnight in the darkness, she's coming at noon to hide her shame. She's coming at a time when she hoped no one will notice her. But you know who notices you in your pain when you're drinking from broken cisterns? It's Jesus. And Jesus wants to reach her heart by offering her something better. And so instead of saying, you must give me a drink, or instead of saying, I can give you something you need, he asks, he asks her for a drink. So verse 8, for his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Now contemplate this. She's kind of thinking about this. Okay, you're asking me for water. Now you're offering me or saying that there's access to living water. And so initially she's kind of hearing this on the surface level. It sounds pretty good. Verse 11. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Verse 14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. Now, if you think about it, Jesus offering her something spiritual, and at this point, she's broken. She's been drinking from broken cisterns, broken relationships for some time, and Jesus is seeking to awaken her sense of need and allow her to deal with the sin that would be separating her from this cleansing water. Verse 15, the woman saith unto him, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Now, this is often where we may struggle because someone may be trapped in a sin experience, trapped in a very broken situation, and we just think, let's just give them living water and never help them to deal with the brokenness that's holding them back. But what I love about Jesus, he's so gracious. He's so tactful. He's so winsome. There's not an ounce of condemnation in his voice. As he says in verse 16, Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. Now you can imagine this woman 
is kind of trembling a little bit inside. She's thinking, how do I deal with this? Because she's not with a husband, and she's already tried that multiple times. So verse 17, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. That's a nice way of saying, I'd like to completely avoid this conversation, Jesus. Can, can I just not talk about this? It's painful. Jesus said to her, thou hast well said, I have no husband, but he doesn't leave it there. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that says thou truly. Now the woman, you can imagine, is just like, how does he know this? And she's thinking, he must just be a prophet. She's trying to change the subject. Do we ever do that when the Holy Spirit starts getting really personal with us? We kind of want to avoid that. Can we just talk about, um, you know, a, a topic of, of religious controversy? Like, let's talk about ordination, or let's talk about, you know, uh, these issues in the church, and I don't want to deal with my personal stuff. And I'm not saying that there isn't a place for talking about, you know, theological discussions and things like that, but there was an ongoing controversy between the Jews and the Samaritans, and she's thinking, oh, I can change the subject to that. When the Holy Spirit gets personal with you, because remember, the Holy Spirit is the representative of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to show you the very things that are separating you from him that he wants to cleanse from your life. And he'll show you things about your life that you maybe didn't see before, but it's not to condemn you. It's to cleanse you. It's to heal you. And so this woman tries to change the subject, and I think we can acknowledge that there's struggles in our lives where we try to do this. Verse 19, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say, that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh, when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, Jesus is saying, okay, I'll deal with what you're talking about. I want to point you to the true source. And so he does graciously deal with that, but he's trying to once again bring it right back to the heart because that's where cleansing is needed. It's needed on the heart level. Verse 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Now you can imagine as the woman hears these words, And she's realizing, he's offering me something better than my past. Because the truth is, we can't change our past. We may try to cover it up. We may try to not deal with it. But only by coming to Christ can we actually learn to let it go and really be healed from it. And this woman is beginning to experience hope. Hope is truly the spring of all transformation of character. Because if you thought that God's looking down on you like, um, you're just one of those sinners that really can't change. You're stuck. There may be certain categories of sins in our society that, Now people are are like, well, that's just your identity. You're just stuck in that. According to God's word, he can cleanse us from all sin. Do you say amen to that? Anything. The struggle is to believe that. This woman is beginning to feel hope that there's possibility for her to have a new beginning. Verse 27. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come. See a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Now, it's interesting that this woman goes to the city. Do you think she probably had a reputation in the city of Samaria? Yes. But here, instead of being afraid of telling her story, she's actually empowered to share her story because of Jesus transforming her life. Because the things that the devil has attacked you on, 
the things he's lied to you about, the areas where you've been so broken and you've been stuck, actually become the impetus for ministry. I don't know that we often think about that. Because your brokenness that's been cleansed and healed and the sins that you've let Jesus wash you from are the very spring of encouragement that someone else needs to hear. Because the devil may be exactly attacking someone on that very point and saying, you can't, you're just stuck. There's no hope for you. And you come along with a face that's totally changed. I mean, this woman didn't look the same way. Not saying that she immediately changed in every area, but her face was lit up with joy. She had all the fruits of the Spirit, not one missing, because she had begun to drink this living water. She'd accepted the grace that changed her. And so really, if you think about it, Jesus offering us living water in the place of our broken attempts to try to fix our own sin problem. We all try. I mean, sin is big business. I don't know if you know that. Have you ever heard of, you know, all kinds of people that are trying to medicate their pain through lots of different, lots of different aspects? Drugs, alcohol, there's all kinds of ways that people try to numb the struggle. But the real answer is coming to Jesus and not letting your pain keep you from him. Because in some ways, do you think it was painful for Jesus to bring up what she was dealing with? I'm sure it wasn't comfortable. But if you're willing to press into the presence of Jesus because he's drawing you and allow him to show you your story in ways you didn't see it before. Because before this woman probably saw her story from the lens of, I'm hopeless. There's no, I, yeah, you just, there's nothing for me here. So she's just kind of existing. And we were not created to merely exist. We were created to thrive. In fact, not only were we created to thrive, we were created to do ministry with the God who's paid everything for us and not only be washed and cleansed, but then have a testimony to share with the universe. The more you contemplate your potential in Christ and you look at other people that way, the more life takes on incredible meaning. I'd like us to go to 1 Peter 2 verse 9 because this woman... Well, she wasn't ordained, and while she'd probably not heard any amazing, eloquent sermons by Jesus, she was a missionary. God wants all men and women to become missionaries when they accept the love of Jesus. We're called into a royal priesthood to go forth to minister to those who are hurting and broken and sin-scarred. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. And what I love about the way Jesus ministers is that he looks beyond mere externals, and he sees our potential in ways we didn't see it before. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, the more I think about what Jesus did for this woman, the more I say, how can we begin to look at the people, whether they're in our church or whether they're in our community, and inspire them with a realization that they have a purpose? Do you realize that a lot of people are feeling like in this world, it's a growing issue an epidemic, I'd call it, of people feeling like they have no purpose and therefore they end their life in whatever way. And it's so tragic because if you would get to know the way Jesus sees you, he would say, I was there your whole broken journey, preventing the devil from destroying you. I'm trying to save you. This woman began to see that it wasn't God that was condemning her. It was her sin that was breaking her down. It was the devil that was there to accuse. And when we are set free from sin, do you know what the spirit is? Not accusation and condemnation of those around us, but reconciliation. We want them to experience the washing and the cleansing. And so washing and cleansing, and I mean this on the deepest level, God does not want us to read the Bible like it's some intellectual textbook. He wants us to read the Bible like it's a personal love letter addressed to you at that moment with your specific need and struggle. And the more the Bible gets personal, the more you experience transformation. And now here's the thing. When you are transformed, 
You're not condemning other people by sharing what you've gone through. You're inviting other people. And it's going to be their choice whether they're going to let go of the sin that's breaking them down and, and experience something better. And the thing is, it may take time. I think, you know, we don't realize the backstory of this woman in John 4. How many times do you think the Holy Spirit was trying to whisper to her, you're loved, you're valued, but she didn't feel that way. And it's such a struggle for us sometimes to really believe deeply from the heart our value and our purpose before God. And the truth is, the more we focus in on the way Jesus has journeyed through this life and how he continually dwelt upon the way his father loved him and accepted him, the more we can say, I don't feel that way, but I know Jesus can fill me with those feelings. Jesus can fill me with those thoughts. And so as Jesus went to the baptistry, go to Matthew chapter 3, Jesus was choosing to take upon him all of our guilt, all of our shame, all the negative messages we've ever fed ourselves or listened to from the enemy and those around us. And he said, I'm going to bear their guilt and I'm going to repent in their behalf and I'm going to make a, a repentance so complete, so full, and so efficacious that if they would just come to me, I will wash them. I will cleanse them. And that's why a person gets baptized is because they acknowledge that in and of themselves, they can't be cleansed. Sometimes the struggle is we feel like we have to get up to a certain point of doing things right before we can come to Jesus. That's a lie. You must come just as you are. Jesus has made a way for the most sinful, the most degraded, the most broken, so that every one of us can experience complete salvation, cleansing, transformation. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Then come a Jesus from Galilee to Jordan and to John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said to him, Suffer to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It was not until Christ had experienced this cleansing and washing that he went into his public ministry. Now, mind you, the first 30 years of his life, he was being kind and gracious and doing all kinds of wonderful things. But his baptism marks an incredible, significant turning point. He's going from being Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter, to being Jesus, the Messiah, on a mission anointed to save the brokenhearted. When you get baptized, when you acknowledge your need of cleansing, God is now liberating you to be able to share what you've come through as a story, a testimony to help others experience cleansing. The very things that the devil tried to use against you actually work in your behalf and the behalf of saving souls. I remember one day someone told me I was actually in a thrift store of all places in Alpena. And, you know, God can teach you in the most random places. Can you say amen? If you're listening, he'll, he'll speak to you. And this, I think she was either working there or just, you know, in line or something. And she said, for every negative, there's a positive. Science taught me that. You ever looked at atoms? There's always a negative and a positive ions and all this going on atoms, and I'm going, that's so true. And so God has a special way of using extremely broken people for great missions. You know why? Because all the negativity you've been through, if Jesus fills up all that brokenness, he's like, wow, I've got someone really full of living water, and they're going to want to share that with someone else. And so it is that there's a, a transformation in life of a person who really feels their sinfulness. Now, I do not want to in any way, somebody come away from this and say, Okay, I need to go out there and really sin hard and bad and then really have an amazing testimony. You know what? Jesus' testimony is more amazing than all of ours. You know why? Because his testimony was that he realized his continual need of a connection with the Father. 
Because but for the grace of God, we will fall into incredible brokenness and sin. Our nature is extremely degenerate. There's nothing good in it. You're never going to come to a point where you can say, Lord, I've been really good for a while, so my nature has been improved. Actually, it's your character that's being changed. Your fallen nature, it needs to be crucified every moment. Can you say amen with me? Every moment. Sometimes we start to think that we're kind of coasting. Coasting spiritually doesn't work. You're actually going downward. We need a living connection. And this woman of Samaria, the reason why Jesus could use her so powerfully, and there's another parallel woman in many ways, and that's Mary Magdalene. Because Mary Magdalene, she felt her sinfulness. She'd been deeply wrong, deeply wounded, had been very much immoral and sinful. But she began to see that Jesus loved her and had a deep yearning desire for her salvation and cared about her personally. And it's when someone begins to take a personal interest in you, not to condemn you, but to invite you to something better they've experienced. Jesus was experiencing God's love all the time. And so he wanted to diffuse that. And that's how we become washed and cleansed. And another thing is that as you continue to receive that washing, you only continue to receive the washing, cleansing, renewing as you share it. Have you ever been to the Dead Sea? I've been there. And nothing, nothing lives in it. The amazing thing, though, is that if that Dead Sea just had a little outlet, the entire sea would change. And so it is for us as Christians. If we accept Jesus and we're baptized by faith and we walk with him, you need to find a ministry. I'm not going to tell you what it is. It may be that you invite a neighbor over to a Bible study group. It may be that you take glow tracks with you and you share them. It may be that you have a prayer list ministry or let the Holy Spirit guide what your ministry is. But if you are connected to Jesus and he's washing you, you're going to let that water flow out. Or inevitably, your life becomes like the Dead Sea and you start to spiritually die. There's just no other way. And actually, the way the sanctuary is set up, it teaches us this. Because right after you're cleansed, you know where you go? A holy place. And now you've got the table of showbread, you need to feed on the word of God. You have the seven-branch candlestick, you need to be anointed with the Holy Spirit to be a witness. The altar of incense, intercessory prayer ministry. And then by faith coming into the most holy place where you're in the presence of God, and he writes his law in your mind and your heart. This is what God's purpose and plan for us is through the sanctuary, that we are finally restored to God's character completely. Every sinful tendency, every area of our life, we're like, I just can't stop that. God's going, yes, you can with Jesus. If you look away from yourself and look to Jesus, this woman's story is evidence of that. And Jesus' baptism is evidence that you can come to him no matter how broken and sinful and you say dirty and polluted. And he says, I've already accepted humanity in my baptism. He stands as our representative and says, I'm washing you all. Now, it's our choice to believe that or to hold back and say, he doesn't mean this for me. I've been there so many times, so many times, and I'm just telling you, don't look to the devil, don't look to the self, don't look to your circumstances. The evidence that God can cleanse and wash you personally is what God has promised. And that's the struggle that we have is sometimes we get in these tight situations where we're like, well, maybe I could just this once break the Sabbath or this once, you know, say a little white lie. There's no such thing as a white lie. It's not true. God is inviting us to trust him in every circumstance of life. And this woman was changed because she experienced grace. Grace renews the heart. It makes us new. By beholding, we become changed. In Exodus 38, verse 8, I'd like us to turn there. Exodus 38, verse 8, there's another incredible element of this piece of furniture is how it was made. And it's so significant that God uses the very things that maybe at once were tripping us up to be used for ministry. 
If we had to measure the number of hours that people spend in front of the literal mirrors in their homes to try to make sure they look perfect on the outside, how much time do we spend allowing the law, the mirror of our character, to show us the things that need to be cleansed on the inside? And so in Exodus 38, verse 8, notice this. It says, And he made the laver of brass, and the foot of it of brass, of the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. In other words, this piece of furniture required a sacrifice. You can imagine the women assembling. This is talking about the Israelite women. They had little polished pieces of brass. They didn't have the kind of mirrors we have now. But they had polished pieces of brass in which they could see the reflection. And they were invited to bring those mirrors, looking glasses, and offer them in which they would be beaten together and made into this beautiful labor. So are we willing to let go of our mirrors to allow something better? And if you think about it, that mirror could represent whatever you're doing in your life to try to fix yourself. You're looking at yourself, you're like, if I could just stop this or grow, you know, you're trying to change yourself. But you can come to Christ and allow him to do the cleansing and the washing as you cooperate with him. And so essentially they're letting go of their mirrors. You know, if you'd realize that letting go of something that you think that you need for Jesus to give you something better, that's really what he's offering. So that's at every step. And so in James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, we see a connection to this concept of the mirror or this glass in which we look. James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. And it's really the word of God, the law that's revealed there, the character of Jesus that shows us the plague spots in our character that need cleansing and washing. James 1, beginning verse 22. And the scripture invites us, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, in other words, a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But in contrast to this is verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So in other words, what we're being invited to do is when the Holy Spirit shows us through the word, areas that need to be cleansed, we don't try to do it ourselves. We come to the Savior for the cleansing. And we acknowledge that through him we can be transformed. We allow us, instead of just thinking, oh, I'll just deal with that later, we allow Jesus to take care of the issue. And so it is that by beholding his loveliness, by seeing his character, we are changed. If we're forgetful hearers, though, and it may mean that, for example, the Pharisees, they had many of the scriptures memorized. But when Jesus, the living law of God, the living expression of God's character came, they rejected him because they would not accept the reproof, the invitation to transformation. However, in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 and 18, we see that it's by the Holy Spirit, by him revealing the character of Jesus to us, that we are cleansed. My previous illustration about how I used to try to pray in tongues or speak in tongues is that I wasn't really being transformed in the image of Jesus. I was being transformed in the image of the flesh. And that's not what God wants. He wants us transformed in a Christ image. And that's what he's going to reveal to us. His loveliness, his character, so we can become new. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. So what is it that we need to behold? What is it that transforms us? John 1, verse 29. And the truth is we can think about this in the context of the sacrifice as well as the labor. 
Because Jesus is both our sacrifice and also the one who is baptized for us, offering us cleansing. It's by his words speaking to our hearts that we can truly behold him as the Lamb of God. John 1.29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. What does the word behold mean? It doesn't mean to just look casually. It means to contemplate, to allow the mind, the intellect, the heart, the feelings, the affections, the desires, to be brought into conformity to the revelation of Jesus. And if we would spend more time dwelling upon what Jesus has done for us, his promises to us, we would be elevated and refined because prayer and a desire for the Holy Spirit pulls us above our fallen nature and lifts us by faith into heavenly places in Christ. Christ is wanting us to acknowledge our need of this, and when we experience it, we will want to share with others. Zechariah chapter 4, 6 really builds on this whole concept of the need for our restoration and cleansing, and we need the Holy Spirit to fill us. We need a daily, fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the things that, as I pray, and I don't know if I've shared this earlier, but there was a book that really meant a lot to me earlier in my experience, and that was Sanctuary Secrets to Personal Prayers by Carol Johnson Shoemake. And basically, she went through the sanctuary, and she applied it to your prayer life, your spiritual life. And so when I wake up in the morning, I want to praise God and acknowledge my need of cleansing and forgiveness of sin, but then pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the labor. And then it prepares for the next aspects of experience in Christ. And I really appreciate this idea that the sanctuary is not meant to be just a doctrine that we know about, or it's something that Jesus is doing in heaven. It's to become a living character transformation because God wants to dwell in us by the Holy Spirit. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. The word of God promises us these incredible, encouraging words. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Just as soon as we realize our inability to do any good thing, and we come pleading for the Holy Spirit, we're dry ground naturally, we're dirty, we're stuck in our own sinful patterns, and we acknowledge our need of help, that very moment, Holy Spirit comes, all we're asked to do is to ask, but how often do we stay away? How often do we get distracted? I've reflected on the the four key areas the devil tries to keep us away from this. He'll try to get us distracted with the pleasures of the world, the life's cares, perplexes, and sorrows, the faults of other people, or your own faults and imperfections. Satan will try to get your mind off of Jesus so you're not experiencing this living water. And that water is going to come into your life. The Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, is going to come in, and the result is you're going to be washed, you're going to be refreshed, and you're going to be empowered to share with others. Is there anything better than that? That's our purpose. That's what Jesus' purpose was. And throughout his whole life, he never lost sight of his mission. He felt his need of fresh supplies of this living water. He would go out early in the morning and pray. He would receive fresh supplies of grace, and then he'd diffuse it to others. Because you have to imagine that morning, that early morning that Jesus was up, and that day that we read about in John 4. I like to say there's the hidden half of Jesus' life. You know, you have a miracle here, an amazing sermon here. But what was the real hidden half of Jesus' life? An incredible prayer life. An absolute intimate connection with his Father. And if we desire to be like Jesus, we're being invited to experience and to be transformed by that kind of a life with God in prayer and and feeling our need of the Holy Spirit. And so it is that Jesus invites us to be elevated above the pull of this fallen world. In Colossians 1, 12 and 13, we need to realize that already, by faith, this is a past tense verse, 
he hath translated us. Because we live in a time, in a generation in which there will be people, some of them may be hearing my voice right now, who will be alive when Jesus comes and go straight into heaven. We call that being translated. Enoch and Elijah have already been translated. But by faith, according to scripture, we already have been translated. We're already given our title, our citizenship, which is in heaven. And God wants us to live and act that way, to believe it, to experience that cleansing and renewing. Colossians 1 verses 12 and 13. Incredible promise. It says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So I like to say, God by faith translates you when you accept Jesus. And he says, I'll just do it so fast. I'll just leave you here because you're a missionary now. Isn't that nice to know that your identity, your character, your sense of connection is no longer to the broken things of this world, the broken cisterns that were pulling you down, but you have a living supply, a heavenly current of living water flowing through your soul. That's the cleansing we're invited to experience. And if we'll stay connected, Jesus is going to do miracles through us. Because the miracles that Jesus did were by faith and prayer. Everything that Christ did in his perfect humanity, he's inviting us to be connected to him and let him do that kind of more mighty works. I think sometimes we're a little hesitant. We're like, uh, but Lord, I, I don't deserve that. He's like, it's not about you. It's about me. It's about my character. It's about my kingdom being expanded and others finding the joy and the hope that has thrilled our hearts. Christ's intercession in heaven is making this possible. This is from the great controversy I misspoke. The great controversy, page 489, paragraph one. I shared this earlier in our series, but I want to reiterate it again because it's so significant. Because the cross, the baptism of Jesus, you know, it's important we accept his sacrifice. It's important we get baptized and follow him. But we need to know that there is a complete work being done for us and we want to understand that. The intercession of Christ in man's behalf in the sanctuary above is as essential to the plan of salvation as was his death upon the cross. By his death, he began that work, which after his resurrection, he ascended to complete in heaven. We must by faith enter within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered. Hebrews 6.20 There the light from the cross of Calvary is reflected. There we may gain a clear insight into the mysteries of redemption. The salvation of man is accomplished at an infinite expense to heaven. The sacrifice made is equal to the broadest demands of the broken law of God. Jesus opened the way to the Father's throne. And through his mediation, the sincere desire of all who come to him in faith may be presented before God. Think about this. The journey that we start by faith in this life will not be complete until we're actually in the very presence of God. He says, I want to finish this. I want to finish the cleansing in your life. I'm interceding for you right now. And so when the enemy comes in like a flood, let the Lord lift up a standard against him. When you're tempted to discouragement or despondency or whatever the struggle may be that you're going through, may you lift your mind heavenward and say, that's where my citizenship is. That's where my identity is. That's the cleansing that he's offering us today. Because cleansing is directly connected with faith. If you believe what God says to you, it will come to pass. It's not a matter of God. God can do anything. But there were times when people needed his healing and he said, according to your faith. And so he's inviting us by faith to experience cleansing. As I sang in the song, by faith, that cleansing at the laver. Because we don't literally see a laver. And yes, it's important for those of you who are preparing for baptism or making that decision to actually get baptized. But we need to continue to appreciate what that means. It means a continuous connection 
with the living water, which is the grace of Christ in the heart through the Holy Spirit. Christ is inviting us to this experience. And so today, if it's your decision to surrender your heart to Jesus Christ and ask him to bring the cleansing living water into your heart by the Holy Spirit, washing you from every stain of sin, redefining all your brokenness as an opportunity to help others who have been hurt and wounded so you can give them hope. If it's your desire to let Jesus do this cleansing in you, I invite you to stand with me now. Praise the Lord. As the Holy Spirit moves upon our hearts, there may be some here today that realize that the Holy Spirit is making that personal appeal to your heart to either prepare for baptism or rebaptism. And if that is your desire today, I would just invite you to raise your hand. Is there anyone here? Praise the Lord. Amen. God sees those hands that have been raised, and he will prepare you and continue to guide you. How about we kneel for prayer as we ask the Lord to seal each decision, whether we've stood or whether we've raised our hand, because we need the Holy Spirit to fill us and baptize us anew. Loving Father in heaven, we're thankful for the cleansing that you promised us. We're thankful that the Holy Spirit is the one that reveals Jesus to our hearts and minds. And Lord, we ask for that complete cleansing in our hearts and our minds. Heal the disorders of our sin-sick souls. Make us like Jesus. And Lord, be with those who've also indicated that they are making a decision to prepare for baptism or rebaptism. Give them the courage to take that step with you. Wash and renew them. Give them hope and joy in your presence. And thank you, Lord, that you're so gracious to us. You wash and renew us. May we go forth, Lord, just as the woman at the well did, to diffuse the living water because we've come to drink from you. And there's always more. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Pastor Sean Brizendine, pastor of the Houghton Seventh-day Adventist Church and assistant pastor of the Bessemer and Greenland Seventh-day Adventist Churches. If you've enjoyed this sermon, why not visit one of his churches this coming Sabbath? I'm sure he'd be glad to meet you.